time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. song even better we make the music even better joffrey man what a man welcome back to the cold war show episode 12 welcome ray hello cam how are you today i'm good thank you ray ray and i've just done two episodes of the alexander show this morning and yes. uh, or tonight and race ray said yes. we have to get <laughs> on to the cold war because i need to go to bed so well full disclaimer it's 30 minutes 28 minutes to my bedtime and Cam hasn't had breakfast yet. So I need all of you to lower your standards and <laughs> then cut those in half. Yeah. And then we get. Okay, well, let's get into it. So this episode, we're getting back to economics. Uh, we've done a couple of episodes of economics. This is the third and final, I think. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Episode right. in economics. And, um, <clears throat> you know, in our last episodes, we talked about the role of trade and foreign markets as a major factor of why countries go to war and in this episode i want to look at a different aspect of economics we want to talk about how companies make money back at home during a war economy Mm, okay um now of course as i'm sure you know ray uh u.s corporations did pretty well during (laughs) world war ii we we all know that okay there was the great depression in the right. early 30s, FDR becomes president in 33. The, econ- the economy is still up and down. He introduces the New Deal. It goes up for a bit. Then it crashes again, sort of 34, 35, 37. It's going down. It, it was up and down a lot during the 30s. So the uh, U.S. corporate profits in 1940, the U.S. gets into the war at, what, the end of 41. Mm-hmm. 1940 U.S. corporate profits were $6.4 billion. In 1944, U.S. corporate profits were 10.8 billion. Woo. That's a 70 percent increase in profits in four years. Damn. Yeah, if I can add to that, in 1939, unemployment in the United States was 17.24. In 1945, at the end of the war, it was 1.99. Yeah, everybody's so- working. Look, as I'm sure people understand, profits don't normally go up 70% in four years. Now, yes, it was probably coming off a low base because of the Depression, but But that was the reality. That was the reality of the U.S. economy. As I said many times in the last couple of episodes, the U.S. economy was really struggling from the 1890s right through to the end of the 30s. Due to a number of factors, uh, you know, you had the the, uh, Dust Bowl happen, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. but... Part of it, as we've seen, came from this this problem of overproduction. American industry was too good. They right. they had really done too good a job. They had maxed out their ability to sell their product in the domestic markets. 
they had to you know be able to sell it to foreign markets but as we've seen in the last couple of episodes those were sort of locked down by trading blocks between the european powers but during the war things were great and a lot of people learn in the u.s learned oh, oh i see charles e wilson who was the president of general motors and mm-hmm. executive vice chairman of the War Production Board delivered a speech to the Army Ordnance Association in January 1944, where he suggests a continuing alliance between business and the military to create what he called, and I'm going to quote, a permanent war economy. Dang. Ooh. And if you think about it, by... What mid nineteen forty four? We're pretty much aware that there's going to be some version of the Cold War with the Soviets, and a permanent war economy is exactly what the Cold War allows. Mm. You know, these companies are going to go on making profits, whether there's war or not war, because you always have to have enough arms, you always have to arm your allies, you always have to have the latest arms. So, a permanent war economy is good for them. It's good for the one percent. The most it does for the ninety nine percent is give them jobs, but those jobs probably don't pay well. But this is just a money making scheme that's going to go on for the you know as far as for as far as they can tell but of course when the ussr dissolved and the cold war ended all of the military budgets went away it went away and now it's peace in our time peace in our time (laughs) (laughs) yeah 2.0 i I want to get back to that point the president of general motors yeah was arguing for a permanent war economy damn so I mean, you can't take a businessman, put him in the middle of a government to make decisions, and he and he's not going to think of himself or his company. That's mm. just not human to do that. Mm. Now, the famous economist John Maynard Keynes wrote in a letter to FDR in 1933, in the middle of the Depression, that the answer to economic stagnation was to promote effective demand through government spending. So he was one of the architects of the New Deal. He said, you know what, to, the way to, to, to get the economy growing again is you need to borrow money and spend it on infrastructure and public works programs. If, if businesses aren't spending money, then the government needs to spend money. Government can borrow, government can spend, and it will get people back to work. It'll get the economy moving again. It'll grow confidence. But... Uh, after the war, oh no, sorry. He also mentioned before I forget, he also mentioned that spending money on war would cause intense industrial activity. This is 1933, right? So this is eight years before America gets into mm. World War Two. But he pointed right. out in this letter that you know spending money on getting ready for war would cause a lot of industrial activity. But after the war, a lot of business and political leaders like Charles E. Wilson decided that Keynes was onto something with this war spending. And <laughs> this uh, bastardized version of Keynesianism, which is known as military Keynesianism, right. is this idea that military spending is the best way to keep a country's economy humming. And now I should point out that Keynes himself hated this idea. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But um, that's what ended up becoming the basis of the U.S. economy from the 40s onwards. 
Yeah, and, and it's amazing. So, you, in fact, you don't even need war. You can just have the fear or the possibility of war because then the government's going to keep ordering arms to make sure that they're ready. You know, you got to cover your coast. you got to cover your allies. And so just the idea of war or potential war is enough to justify the spending. So there's actually no deaths, no sending anybody away, but they're still making tons of money, of course, getting it from the government. I, I, I don't get that. Just the government can just shop and just buy things and order things and whatever, and the economy will be stimulated. But that that money's got to come from somewhere. I just don't get that that how they think that's a zero sum game. Well, this is the brilliance of military Keynesianism, and I'm going to go into a lot of detail about how this works. And it's a huge scam. It is the Mm -hmm. hugest fucking scam that is happening right under people's noses. Uh, and it, it's important to understand how this works because it'll answer a lot of questions that people may have had about trying to figure out why we're always in a total uh, war situation. Right. Um, <clears throat> but getting back to Keynesianism, so the thing is, if the government tries to spend public money on infrastructure, building mm-hmm. roads, building schools, building hospitals, etc., yeah. people will want to have a say in on how it's spent. You know, people want to have input onto, you know, the the, the way the government money spent. It can be debated in Congress. It's my neighborhood. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Local councils, people want to get involved. And that slows everything down. It's the crisis of democracy, as it's known, uh, is that, and and we talked about this in previous episodes when we were talking about Walter Lippmann and Edward Bernays. The idea Mm -hmm. is that you don't want the people to get involved in shit because the people are dumb they're they're idiots they don't know anything we don't want them to get involved it's just going to slow everything down but when it comes to military spending the people Mm. don't get much of a say the the government just says the words uh national security and oh well fuck national security all right well well, shit go do it then spend the money so again as you as you were suggesting before when the government spends money whether it spends it directly out of cash reserves from the national treasury or it spend, or it borrows, either way, mm-hmm. it's, it's a transfer of funds from the people to big business. Right. And, you, and, and if you're doing it, if you're spending it on public infrastructure where the people want to get involved, that's going to slow down that transfer of funds because people want to have a say on how it's spent, where it's spent. If it's right. military spending, it, it gets rid of a lot of the the public uh, intervention because right. you go, oh, we have to, we, we don't have time, don't have time to think about it. Don't, don't ask me questions. Yeah, I'm trying to save your life. Yeah, got to spend it. So think about how this works for a second. A country goes to war. Who pays for that? The government. Where do they get the money from? The federal treasury. Where does that money come from? Well, it comes from. Taxation and borrowing. But Sounds if the, like the lightning round. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if the money is borrowed, it gets paid back from the treasury, which again comes from taxation. That's fucked up. Now, here's an example. In 2015, and I'm going to use the mm-hmm. US, throughout the course of this show, I'm going to use the US as an example, not because I'm picking on the US, not because this yeah. doesn't happen everywhere else, but obviously... 
the US is the biggest superpower, mili- biggest spender of military funds on the planet by a large right. shot. I think the US military budget is the same as the next 26 or 27 countries combined. Yeah, so that. I'm just going to use the US as an example, not because I'm picking on America, because it's just the easiest to use. Well, it makes the point, but exactly. Right. So in 2015, total US federal revenues were about $3.18 trillion. Now, this revenue comes from three major sources. Wait, was that, is that just for one year? One year, 2015. Damn. Fiscal year 2015. Okay. okay. Comes from three sources in, in, in the main. Income taxes paid by individuals was $1.48 trillion, or 47% of all mm. revenue. That's me. 1.48 trillion comes from the people, income tax. Right. Payroll taxes paid by workers and employers is another 1.07 trillion or mm-hmm. 34% of revenue. That's probably me. Yeah. And then corporate income taxes paid by businesses was 341.7 billion or about 11%. So 77% of federal revenues comes from income taxes or payroll taxes. Yeah, I was going to say 47%, 34%, 11%. Shouldn't those numbers be reversed? I mean, I'm not a billion-dollar or million, multi-million-dollar corporation. I'm just some guy that they – anyway. Okay. Well, well, well yeah. I mean, some of those individuals that are paying income taxes are wealthy, but we all know – through the Panama Papers, uh, wealthy people manage to get out of paying tax. I mean, Warren Buffett, I think, famously said that he pays uh, less tax than his secretary. Maybe it was a lower oh, rate of tax than his secretary. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> but here's the thing to, to, to really think about, folks. Two-thirds mm-hmm. of federal revenues come from income taxes that individuals pay directly or indirectly. Damn. Now, in 2015, U.S. military spending was about $600 billion. That's about 20% of $3.18 trillion. So about 20% of the federal revenue went on military spending. Now, I, I just want to throw this real quick. My son is a Marine, and he clears about $250 a week. Now, yeah, he gets a room, but he's got to pay for his food. He's got to pay for haircut. He's got to pay for other stuff. But he gets $250 a week. He has to pay so for food? Yeah, they Out put him his... on a plan. Yeah. Really? You don't yeah. get free he... food as a Marine? No, there's you know, like when you go to college and you can sign up for meal plans and they just take it out of your pay. Holy shit. Oh, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot since he's joined the Marines. I am upset by um, a lot of what I've learned. Uh, um, yeah, so don't get me started on that because I will fucking go off. So anyway, so he, he clears about $250 a week. So... The people that are fighting and dying for the rest of us are not benefiting from that six hundred billion that was spent in one year alone. And of course, but they're being told, and and the people in this country are being told that they're doing something noble, something courageous, which is a whole other type of uh, propaganda. That I'm sure we'll get into later ad nauseum. But j- just to give you an idea, I mean, this as far as what war costs uh, us in 2013. 
Um, the to- the cost for the second Iraqi war from 2003 to 2011 was estimated to be roughly $1.7 trillion. Other people say that it could go as high as $4 trillion by the time all that money is paid off with all its interests. So the, the war has ended years ago, but there are still those people, not us, the 1%, that are still making money off something that's over. We lost how many people? We killed how many people? But Again, it's just a huge business, and someone's always making money from some part of a war, even when the war is over. Wow, you did some research, Ray. I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm glad I'm sitting down. So, (laughs) But I'll actually drill down into that in a little bit more detail. So you're right. The the direct military budget since 2001 is around about $1.7 trillion the U.S. has spent. But according to an analysis by Boston University from about a year ago that I read, the real sum is closer to $4.4 trillion. So if you factor in things like uh, veterans' health and medical mm-hmm. disability expenses, that's another trillion. So that's not part Which of... sucks. That's not yeah. part of the $1.7 trillion. That's another trillion. People come back, right. they don't have legs, they don't have arms... As we've seen, the uh, Congress tries to get out of paying f- for them as much as possible, particularly the Republicans in Congress. are like, ah, fuck them. But uh, yeah. eventually you have to pay for it. Then, on top of that, you've got the cost of homeland security, which has obviously been increased mm. massively in the last 15 years, in part because of the, uh, the, the, the increased threat of attacks. Uh, you know, we, when we see shootings like the one that happened in Orlando, even though the shooter by the looks of it, had nothing really to do with ISIS. His justification that he used when he rang 911 was, was, you know, was about the attacks of uh, the US against Middle Eastern countries, Islamic countries. So the cost, so that you add that to the cost, plus you add the interest of the loans that the government takes on when they're borrowing money to pay for the wars. Uh, you add all of that up, it gets closer to $4.4 trillion, and um, it's going up at $8 million an hour, I think. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Jesus. So where does all that money go? We know that the U.S. spends a lot of money on wars, but the question that you want to drill down into is where does it go? The two questions are where does it come from and where does it go? As I pointed out, it comes from the people. The vast majority of it comes from federal treasury, public income tax and payroll taxes paid by the people. Where does it go? So according to one study by Tom Dispatch in 2013, the Pentagon spent around $385 billion to private companies for work done outside of the U.S. since late Mm. 2001. So this is private companies that are involved in making war or cleaning up after a war. Right. By the second Gulf War, contractors also represented roughly one half of deployed personnel in Iraq. I'm not sure that people generally understand that. I mean, your son uh, works for the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. Right, as a marine, he's on the Pentagon right. payroll. But then you have all of these private contractors that are over there that are now a half, or at least by the beginning of the Second Gulf War, by two thousand one, about a half of the deployed personnel were private contractors, um, making a lot more money than he is. Yeah, that's right. And the yeah. company uh, now known as KBR, we'll talk about them more in a minute. 
employed more than 50,000 people in Iraq. Right. So it's not just people like your son, Marines, that are getting paid. There's massive amounts of private enterprise that are over there getting handouts from the public treasury. Mm -hmm. But it's not just military contractors. It's not just people that are you know providing soldiers or providing armaments over there that you need to think about it's everything else these massive us bases that you have in foreign countries right that they need to be supplied with food and clothing and cars and pens and starbucks and burger king and coca cola right, right? Computers, yeah. software for those computers, the iPhones, fucking the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, again, all of the companies that are providing all of those things to US bases are getting paid for by the government for, out of the public treasury. It's, it's, it's way, way, way bigger than just the guys that make guns and the guys that, that, that have soldiers or do reconstruction right. work. It's 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 such a huge part of US industry that profits out of America's military activities. Like it's in, almost incalculable although some people have tried to calculate it. That report I mentioned from Tom's dispatch mm -hmm. went through the records they discovered 1.7 million individual contracts for services outside of the United States since the start of the Afghanistan war. So since about Damn. 2002. Right. So those are contracts with businesses. 1.7 million businesses, large and small, around the United States that have profited out of America's wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. That's insane. Now, now you I, think about... I, yeah. Sorry, go. No, I was just going to say real quickly, because uh, I can't say too much about it, but I know a person who lives in Northern Virginia, and she runs a company, and they get contracts from the U.S. government. And what they do is they, they write software or whatever, and the parties that they throw and the um, the trips that they take these people on to, to win the contracts, and, the, and she's always going out to dinners to very nice places up in Northern uh, Virginia, and she just spends a lot of time wooing these people and they'll spend a ton of money doing it because they know if they get the contract and all they're doing is sit around writing software they'll make a ton of money the owners of the company are millionaires over and over again and 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 it's just insane so i had this little tiny 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 window into this process but what she has told me it just it just blows my mind the things that they do the the money that they get paid and the things that they're willing to do to get the contract very cutthroat and very almost mad Esque, if you will, even though it's 2016. Yeah. So I want, I, I want to get back to that number though 1.7 yeah. million contracts. Now, all of these businesses have local senators, local congressmen that mm -hmm. these business people are, are talking to, contributing jobs to that region ah, of the congressmen. Right. They're, they're, they're giving them donations for their political campaigns. It's a massive chunk of U.S. industry. And again, these businesses, some are small, some are big, and everything in between, that are profiting out of the permanent war economy, as Charles E. Wilson um, wanted. 
Now, who pays for all of that? The people. So war becomes an easy transfer of wealth from out of the public treasury into the hands of private contractors and corporations. And as I said before, Mm -hmm. if, if the government was spending this money on domestic issues, roads, hospitals, domestic infrastructure, the people right. would have some insight into it. They'd want to they'd want to be able to debate it. What's the best way of spending it? Who should get it? They'd, they'd want a lot more um, transparency into the, the, the bidding process and the contracts and all of that kind of stuff. But when it's happening in a different country where yeah. no one gets to see what's going on and when there's national security invoked, we don't have time for any transparency here. We've got to get this money. We've got to spend yeah. it right now. We've got to go over there. We've got to go over there. Get, get, Saddam's going to kill us any minute. We've got to spend the money. Lies on the line. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it, it is a very fast and easy way for businesses to take money, literally take <laughs> millions, billions, trillions of dollars out of the public treasury. It is the most egregious transfer of wealth from the public to the private that you you can even imagine. It is the greatest scam of all time. Now, yes, some of it trickles back to the economy, but not as much as you would expect, and we'll see why. Right. Now, if a corporation wants to make money under normal conditions, you know, you want to sell an iPhone to uh, somebody in California... You know, you, 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 it, it's tough. I'm in marketing. I know how hard it is to sell shit, right? You need mm-hmm. to work hard to sell a product to a business or, or, or a consumer when you're operating in a free market. You have to advertise. You have to fight to win contracts for businesses. You, you have to deal with constant scrutiny of your contracts, of your processes, of your quality control, of your customer support. It's, right. it's hard work. But if you get a war contract... I mean, whilst you have to you have to bid for the war contract, and as you say, there's a lot yeah. of bullshit that goes on with that. Once you get that contract, easy peasy, Japanese, because <laughs> it's a cold war. I can say that. Um, yeah, people aren't spending their own money; they're spending government money. There's kajillions of it, and as we know, and we'll see going on, the oversight of this money and how it's spent not great. Um, right. And also there's this sense of urgency. Well, just, just give them the money. We'll work out what they do with it later. Don't worry about it. Just give them the money right now. We've got we to go over there. We've got to go over there. Yeah. So um, it, it's just it's, it's a really good deal for the businesses that can get a war contract. If I could just channel my socialist part of me just for a second. So you use the contracts and, and you cut it, uh, all the questions. And like you said, it's a, a very fast way of getting a lot of public money into a few, relatively few private hands. And so they make huge profits or whatever. Yeah, they provide jobs, but they're mostly making huge profits. So that's taking a lot from public, giving it to a few, which is the exact same thing as Bernie Sanders saying, for those people out there who are so wealthy, they can never spend all their money. And he wants to raise their taxes and transfer some of that from the ultra rich to the poor so when he says it, it's it's evil, it's un-American. But when they do it, it's it's what makes America great again, or or it's it's how you keep the economy going, or it's justified by saying we can provide you jobs. So to rip off and to do it one way when it's done by the establishment is good. When it's done by a socialist Democrat, it is evil, and he should be taken out and shot. Just it just staggers me. And that's the hypocrisy of all of this, as you say. Yeah. And, uh, on one hand. 
they, they argue that the people need to compete and that they preach about free markets and they preach against socialism. But right. at the same time, these companies are taking massive hundreds of billions of dollars a year in handouts from the yeah. government for a whole bunch of things. It's like and an I'm oligarchy. Gonna, I'm going to yeah. drill into where this money goes in more detail over okay. the course of the show. It's just a fire hose of easy money that flows out of the public treasury. The biggest benefactor in the last decade of U.S. military spending, KBR, company I mentioned before, Kellogg, Brown, and Root. KBR has received over $44 billion in military <laughs> contracts. And i got to tell you, that's a lot of cornflakes. <laughs> no, wait, wrong Kellogg's. Uh, wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah, wrong yeah. Kellogg's. Uh, oh, my God. You might have heard of KBR's former parent company, Halliburton. I think I have. Now, in 19, I think I have. 1995, um, some guy by the name of Dick Cheney became Halliburton's president and CEO. After uh, a career in, in the public service, uh, he uh, had worked in the White House for a guy called George H.W. Bush. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the Secretary of Defense for George H.W. Bush. And while he was the Secretary of Defense, he uh, increased the Pentagon's reliance on private contractors. Then when uh, during the Clinton administration, he went back to Halliburton, became the president and CEO, and they took $44 billion in military contracts out of the White House. Um, I'm not sure what happened to him after that. Uh, I hope he's okay. hope he went on to do something. I I think he is. He left Halliburton in 2001, and they gave him a $34 million exit package, which is not bad because Halliburton made $39 billion from his time in there. So win-win, I think he's going to be okay. You know, one of the last things he did when he was at Halliburton, I think it was uh, late 99 or early 2000. Mm -hmm. Early 2000, yeah. He co-authored and signed a report, one of the signatories of a report called the Project for the New American Century. Ever heard of that report? No. It was written basically by the, the industrial military complex, sort of talking about what America needed to do in the 21st century to maintain its economic and military superiority. And quite famously, one of the sections of the this paper that Cheney co-authored, another guy called Donald Rumsfeld, I think, was a signatory on that. Anyway, he said they wrote in the report that uh, uh, America needed to get control of the oil in the Middle East, particularly places like Iraq, which had the the I think the second or the third greatest. Uh, um, Concentration. Yeah. Deposits. Yeah. Deposits mm -hmm. of oil in the world. But that it would be very difficult to get the American support, the people, the people's support yeah. for an invasion of Iraq, unless there was a major attack on U.S. soil, which would help justify you know, sort of a war <laughs> climate again. Jeez. Six months almost to the day of that report coming out, uh, George W. Bush becomes president and puts Cheney and Rumsfeld on his inner circle, or they get him elected. And almost uh, six months later, the 9-11 attack happens. 
and they get their justification to evade Iraq. Almost a year to the day after this report came out, so it must have been late 2000 that this report came out, I guess. Um, right. They get exactly what they wished for. So anyway, here we go. Cheney again. Uh, he's at Halliburton. He goes to the White House as George H.W. Bush's Secretary of Defense. He was also, he was previously there. I think he was part of Reagan's administration. Right. But he, yeah. he goes, to, goes to the White House and says, you know what, we need to rely more on private contractors. George H.W. Bush goes, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> so then, then he goes back to Halliburton and stitches up all of these contracts and then he goes back to the White House and they stitch up $44 billion in contracts uh, during George W. Bush's presidency. Right. In 2009, this gets back to what I was saying about oversight. In 2009, the Pentagon's top auditor testified that KBR had accounted for the vast majority of wartime fraud. Damn. Now, people who have followed this will know that tens of billions of dollars, when the Pentagon finally, after years and years of just handing out cash, literally, and quite literally, putting billions of dollars of cash on pallets and shipping them to Iraq. Right. That then just kind of disappeared. They, when, they, when they started to audit and go, where did this money go? The guys that were in Iraq handing it go, well, I don't know. Some guy just came in and said he needed money, so we just gave it to him. That is, I, I swear to God, I'm not making Jesus. this up. You right. go and read this, yeah. the reports on this. That is absolutely, literally what they did. They just handed out money hand over fist to people who want it. And there was no no receipts, no records kept. It was just literally giving away money because someone came and said, oh, I need money. Oh, here's a million dollars. Maybe this is my naivete, but why do you need a whole bunch of American cash in Iraq? Can't you just pay these people and it goes in an electronic deposit? Why in the fuck do I need pallets of cash well, to you be can't, shipped over there? You can't bribe warlords. With promissory notes <laughs> or bank deposits to Swiss bank accounts, they want okay, they want cash. That's how I would do. Jeez, Louis. So okay, I mean, shitloads of fraud happened, and the Pentagon fully confesses to this. And KBR, according to the Pentagon, uh, accounted for the vast majority of it. Did they say uh, they were is, sorry? This is Dick Cheney's company. No, but in two thousand and seven, after years of bad publicity, Halliburton spun KBR. Uh, off as an independent company and to make sure nobody paid much attention to what it did they moved its headquarters Mm -hmm. from Houston, Texas to Dubai Dubai? I think you meant to say DC, New York, San Francisco Eh, Too much oversight in places like that we just move it to Dubai So it's an an American company worth billions and it gets moved to Dubai Mm -hmm. Taken billions out of the public treasury highest uh, uh, uh perpetrators of fraud and now they're in Dubai where no one can touch them. So I have to ask, if I jump on a plane and I go over there and I set off a bomb and in Caliburton in Dubai, is that a terrorist act against America or against that city? Mm, that's a good question. Or or, yeah. or both. I don't think you anyway. should be saying even suggesting you're gonna <laughs> set off bombs on this show. Because you know they're okay. listening to what we're saying. Yes, man. they are. They are. They are. You were only kidding, weren't you right? I was only Kidding. Yes. I was only kidding. Yes. yes. I don't know how to make bombs. Well, that's the last we fly. ever saw of Ray, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, he's doing well down in Gitmo, I hear. We'll, with, we'll uh, be doing auditions for his, his replacement next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, but it's to, to Dubai, that's fucked up. Anyway. But 
you know, it's obviously not just the companies that are running overseas operations and bases uh, or, or supplying those with Coca-Cola that are benefiting. It's, of course, also the arms industry. Right. In 2011, the 100 largest U.S. contractors uh, sold $410 billion in arms and military services to the U.S. military. That's one year. Wait, hold on, hold on. We give Halliburton and other countries, other companies, billions of dollars every year, and then they turn around and sell billions of dollars a year in arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah, the yeah. fuck but am I doing but wrong? Not Halliburton, not arms. I mean, they're part of the no, military. No, no, but, but I'm sure that somebody owns stock in Halliburton. I'm sure they own stock in Lockheed Martin or whoever. So the main Damn. companies that are that are the arms, the weapons manufacturers, Lockheed yeah. Martin, Boeing, BAE, General Dynamics, Raytheon, and Northrop Grumman. They make missiles, artillery, aircraft, etc., etc., tanks, yeah. guns, bullets. Now, and again, I looked up, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I looked up Lockheed Martin. If you own stock in the last five years, their stock has gone through the fucking roof compared to where it was five years ago. So I don't know. Again, we talked about this on the last episode that's evil. You don't want to support something like that. But obviously these people, whoever owned the stock is making a ton of money off of this horrible thing. Yeah, well, I'm just pulling up the share price. Let's look over max period. So you go back to the year 2000, Lockheed, uh, December 3, 1999, Lockheed Martin's shares were trading at $20. Mm-hmm. Today, they're trading at $242. Yeah. I looked it up five years ago. They were $79, and today it's 240 So just yep. think if you put 50 100 bucks a month in there for the last five years. I don't know. Just shit. Follow the money. Follow the money. That's right. Now, again, with these guys, it's easy money that flows from the public treasury into these corporations and the hands of their executives. And, of course, they all have local local congressmen and senators who uh, they're they're contributing to their fundraising campaigns. Mm -hmm. But, look, it's nothing new to argue that members of the corporate defense industry uh, are essentially war profiteers or merchants of war. President Eisenhower, very famously, in his first speech in 1953, just after the death of Stalin, uh, said, and I'm going to quote, Every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and not clothed. The world in arms is not spending money alone. It is spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. The cost of one modern heavy bomber is this, a modern brick school in more than 30 cities. It is two electric power plants, each serving a town of 60,000 population. It is two fine, fully equipped hospitals. It is some 50 miles of concrete pavement. We pay for a single fighter plane with a half million bushels of wheat. We pay for a single destroyer with new homes that could have housed more than 8,000 people. This is, I repeat, the best way of life to be found on the road the world has been taking. That was in his inaugural speech. (laughs) 
In his last speech as president in 1961, he famously warned, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Mm-hmm. This is the, one of the leading fucking generals of World War yeah. Two, And as we saw in the last episode, no, two episodes ago, I think, um, Smedley Butler, the right. highest ranking general coming out of World War One, warned about war profiteering. Then yeah. one of the highest ranking generals out of World War Two, who became president, also warned of war yeah. profiteering by the military industrial complex. But, you know, no yeah. one listens. When I'm... Yeah, I mean, these he's aren't, the allied these fucking aren't, commander. Yeah, these We're not making fuck, this shit up. Well, these aren't socialists. This isn't Noam Chomsky. <laughs> this isn't Howard Zinn. This isn't Marx or Lenin or Stalin right. saying these things. This isn't Bernie Sanders. These are these your are people leading fucking generals warning about this. No one pays attention. They are in the know more than we could ever possibly be. And they're saying this. And you've got to think Eisenhower about this. Eisenhower must have went just when, you know what? Fuck it. I'm on the <laughs> way out. Fuck, fuck it. it. I'm outies. Um, <laughs> I'm 85,000. So when, like, you got to, this is a testament to the levels of propaganda ah, that Americans live under that your leading military commanders have warned you about the military industrial complex manipulating your economy and the reasons you go to war and you still not even don't believe them. Probably have never heard of this. Most Americans wouldn't know that Eisenhower said this or never heard of Smedley Butler, I'm sure. Because the level of military-industrial propaganda that you've been living under for the last 60, 70 years is is so prevailing that you have no fucking idea. Yeah, remember the movie JFK where they show the short clip about the military-industrial complex? If it wasn't for that, I don't think most Americans would have heard that unless they've actually read. So, yeah, I, I think most of us are not aware of what our military and, leaders think. And again, I'm, they're not, allowed to talk. I'm not picking on the U.S. Uh, we're yeah, just it's the same all as, over. Just using it as an example because it's the biggest. Right. Now, of course, it's sorry, do you want to interrupt here before I go on another rant? No, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. So, it's not just the arms dealers that, uh, oh no, sorry, the arms dealers aren't, aren't only profiting from their own country's military spending, they're selling to other countries as well. And again, oh, the US is by far the biggest supplier of arms to the developing world. Uh, the United States sells about 30% of the world's armaments. And the biggest buyers, the Middle East. Uh, Particularly particularly Saudi Arabia. Um, Saudi Arabia are obviously concerned because they've heard that Alexander the Great is planning on conquering it in 323 BCE, and they didn't get the memo that he died. They're still gearing up. Now listen to this. In 2010, alone, the Obama administration, Nobel Peace Prize winner, Obama, that is, mm-hmm. authorised $60 billion in US military sales to Saudi Arabia. That's, now, I look, yeah. I was going to say, that's I'm, triple yeah. 
the sales to the Saudis under the Bush administration. Damn. Maybe he was trying to stimulate the economy when he first came to office. That's the only thing I could possibly think of. But I, but I looked up. I looked. No, that's 2010. I looked up um, some of that money. So, so we were allowed to sell 84 Boeing F-15s to Saudi Arabia, and we were upgrading 70 of them that they already had from us. So obviously, when it comes to sh- to to planes and to fighters and to upgrades, this stuff costs a lot. But yeah, now they have the ability to do amazing things with these planes, and let's hope. We all stay on the same side because we gave them very impressive firepower. Now, I did I did want to ask you one thing. I looked up another thing about Obama. Under his administration, the stockpile of American nuclear missiles has had its slowest reduction since oh, the Cold really? War. Does that make sense? So, so, so all the presidents since Cold War have been reducing, or you know, for whatever reason, technology or safety, whatever they've been reducing this the pile of, of nukes we have. But he has done it he's done the least amount of getting rid of them so i'm like what the and fuck? he's also authorized a trillion dollar upgrade to them as well mm. yeah but getting Jeez. back to the saudis like yeah. i want people yeah. to realize if they don't already i'm sure people do but we don't want to we don't want to run foul of the martin darlington rule here right Please the saudi government off. is one of the most brutal and corrupt regimes on the planet it constantly ranks among the worst of the worst in Freedom House's annual survey of political and civil rights. Uh, you may not know that because it probably doesn't get talked about as much as it should in the US media because they're an ally and they've got a shit ton mm-hmm. of oil. But they are the worst of the worst. They're a a Wahadist religious uh, theocracy um, mm-hmm. You know they, they they have the exact same religious beliefs as ISIS. <laughs> Jeez! And of course, there's growing evidence now that the Saudi government was directly involved in the 9/11 attacks. There was apparently a whole bunch of evidence to that effect that that the Congress knew when they did their investigation, but was kept from the U.S. public. And now there are certain congressmen and women saying, "Listen, we we need to." release this it yeah. needs to be needs to be made public of course bin laden was saudi um but th- these are the most brutal you know uh, they're, they're beheading yeah. fucking hundreds of people a year they're they're anyway shit man do they have to kill them that way i mean that's fine yeah i've been reading trying to find out more information about the classified 28 pages from the report yeah there are there are two democratic i think they're senators who want to who want to release it i mean who knows what the hell's in these things? But I mean, if it showed definitively that Saudi Arabia isn't is was a part of it, and that was 15 years ago, aren't we still required to have some kind of reaction, whether it's military, economic, political, diplomatic, or all of the above? I mean, if we find out, if the American people find out, that's when the 99 percent will go fucking ballistic. And demand the one percent do something they probably don't want to do. Good luck with that, because who owns most yeah. of America now? The Chinese and the Saudis. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Saudi. Uh, well, uh, uh, what do they call them? Their um, their their wealth funds. Shit, I can't mm-hmm. remember. But the, the Saudis have been buying up large chunks. Treasury of bills or whatever it's called. No, T bills. There's no. a name, name okay. for these. 
um, sovereign funds. The, the, the s- are they buying debt? What are they buying? They're buying up infrastructure. You know, U.S. cities, because their economies are fucked, because they're spending $4 trillion on wars, are, uh, they, they, they can't afford to... Uh, well, they need cash. So th- to get the cash, right. they've been selling off roads, hospitals. <laughs> oh, my God. And the Saudis have been buying up U.S. infrastructure for like the last five years. Look it up, man. The Saudis own big See, chunks of the United States. As liberal as I am, and I'm pretty liberal, I certainly still think that there's a, a minimum amount of patriotism, whatever the fuck you want to call it, I don't know. But at the end of the day, you have to look after your own because this is a big, wide planet, a lot of bad guys. Um, and, and there's no one that's going to help you. I mean, you got to take care of yourselves. You have to You have to have an army, whatever. But, I mean, it's shit like that that just drives me crazy. Anybody who studied history, you just got to know that they can pull the rug out from under us by because they own so much of our shit. You think we wouldn't do that, but I guess we get desperate or we all we care about is money. We get stupid. I don't know, but you would think that there would be a minimum level. Nope, sorry. I cannot sell you this even though you want to buy it and I need the money. There's got to be a line somewhere or maybe I'm just being fucking naive. I don't know. It is past my bedtime. <laughs> so, well, you just sit there quietly and nod, Ray, and let me keep talking. You okay. can have a, have a oh. nap. No one will be able to tell the they- difference. So the, I, I want to talk about the arms trade because, again, it's pretty fucking genius the way it works. It's simple, but it's really genius. You've got to admire the guys that cook this up. So here's how okay. it works. And, again, I'm using the, using the U.S. as an example just because it's the easiest, not because they're the only people who do this. So U.S. arms dealers, these massive companies that I mentioned before, Lockheed, Martin, et cetera, et cetera, they sell weapons to developing countries. Mm-hmm. Middle Eastern countries, African countries, Latin American countries, right? All over. Right. They sell yeah. them lots and lots of weapons. But then the US military, the Pentagon goes, oh, look, these guys have got all these weapons. Uh, <laughs> we, need, we, we need to get more weapons. They've got, they've got the latest. Now we need the fucking latest, latest. Latest, so exactly. the, the US's own military superiority declines and the US mm. needs to spend even more money buying weapons for itself. Because the other guys have got weapons. How do we know? Because we sold them to them. And then, of course, eventually, one of these developing countries, one of these Middle Eastern dictators, does something to justify a war with the US. Oh, my God, he's got a gun. How do you know? We sold it to him. And the US needs to either invade with their own military or supply his internal opposition with more arms. Mm, Think Syria. Which always works out well. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Iran, Iraq. So, and and it just escalates. And and who's benefiting? The U.S. arms supplies. They're selling him to the U.S. They're selling him to Iraq. They're selling him to Iran. They're selling him to Saudis. They're selling him to Israel. They're selling him to everybody. And and, and the more tension there is between all of these nation states, the more weapons they Mm -hmm. need to buy. Who do they buy them from? America. Oh, it's great. Bill Hicks, um, the greatest comedian who ever lived, uh, said it best. I'm so sick of arming the world and then sending troops over to destroy the fucking arms. You know what I mean? We keep arming these little countries, then we go and blow the shit out of them. We're like the bullies of the world, you know? We're like Jack Palance in the movie Shane. Throwing the pistol at the sheep herder's feet. Pick it up. I don't want to pick it up, mister. You'll shoot me. Pick up the gun. 
Mister, I don't want no trouble, huh? I just came downtown here to get some hard rock candy for my kids, some gingham for my wife. I don't even know what gingham is, but she goes, <laughs> goes through about ten rolls a week of that stuff. I ain't looking for no trouble, Mister. You all saw him. He had a gun. <laughs> Jeez. So, and the cycle continues. Now, it's not just the US. Russia is the second largest arms supplier. And look, we saw this with Iraq. So, during the Iraq-Iran war, I'm going way back now to the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Again, not sure whether or not people understand this history, but they probably have heard bits and pieces of it. We want to just drill down sure. on this a bit. And, and it had the best music. Yeah, thanks, Ray. Are you still awake? I thought you'd gone to bed. I, uh, yeah. I no. I was just going to say that, Look, that that feel free clip. Ro- I'll edit this out later. But you just go to bed. I'll just edit in <laughs> some giggles like that, laughs and giggles, and a bit of masturbating sounds in the background. People won't know. People won't know the difference. <laughs> okay, I feel. I can replace no, I- you with a, with a laugh track, really. But no, I have a distinctive laugh that I think people love to hate. So no, yeah. oh, no, no, I did it in with your laugh track. It's okay. I've got enough. Oh. I've got like shit, oh, shit over the last couple of true. years, hundreds of hours that's of your true. laugh track. Okay, man. I didn't think that through. Yeah. Anyway, every time there's a shooting in America, gun sales go up. So yeah, like you were saying, any kind of there's a tension in a region, more people want to buy weapons to keep themselves safe. And fuck, it's perpetuating. But anyway, go ahead. Mm. Now, during the Iraq-Iran war in the early 80s, uh, so the background here is, I think we mentioned in the last episode briefly, uh, in in the 50s, the Iranians uh, wanted to nationalise their loyal interests. Mm -hmm. The CIA overthrew the Iranian government, installed the Shah, who was brutal and corrupt and supported by the US for 25 years. In 1979, there was an Iranian revolution led by the Ayatollah Khomeini. It was a theocratic revolution. And the Iranians took control of their oil, um, again, I think the fourth largest oil reserves in the planet behind Iraq is the third. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Americans were obviously fucking pissed that now the <laughs> Iranians had taken control of their own fucking oil. And they supported Saddam Hussein in Iraq to attack the Iranians because mm. they didn't want the Iranians. It had nothing to do with, you know, hostages or religion or any of that kind of shit. It was about oil. Okay? Now, under right. the... you. Uh, um, under the Reagan administration, the U.S. supplied Saddam Hussein with billions of dollars of credits. Um, who did Ronnie send over to do the deal? A guy oh, called God. Donald Rumsfeld. I'm not sure if uh, I've never heard that name. I think I've heard it somewhere before. <laughs> Mr. Penstripe. Not yeah. sure what happened to him. I hope he's okay. Yeah. I hope he's doing all right. <laughs> yeah. So he went over and said, hey, Saddam, don't worry about it. Hey, relax, guy. Here's billions of dollars of credit. What did uh, Saddam do with them? Well, he bought weapons from Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Egypt. Uh, where did they get the weapons from that they sold to him? Mm-hmm. From the United States. Phew. <laughs> so we get our money back. Yeah. Kind of. Well, no. You, well, they, they sold the, you, you sold them the weapons, and then they right. went and on-sold them to Saddam. So it's, it's, if you don't want to sell people something directly, you sell it to a, a cutout, ah, as they call it, the CIA. Gotcha. But the U.S. was also directly shipping 
military helicopters and what they call dual-use hardware to Iraq. That's hardware that can be used for military and non-military purposes. So you sell them mm. a, a coffee machine that can be turned into an M16. And they go, well, what nice. did you sell them that for? Well, they might be using it for coffee. We don't know. We don't ask questions. We just sell it to them, right? But the U.S. also knew that Iraq was using mustard gas and sarin gas against the Iranians mm. and the Kurds, but they turned a blind eye to it. How did they know he had them? They yeah. sold it to him. Get the fuck out of here. Now, this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is on the record. I know people are listening to this going, oh, fucking oh, tinfoil shit. hat, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> In May 1986, the U.S. Department of Commerce licensed 70 biological exports to Iraq, including 21 batches of lethal strains of anthrax, cyanide, and weapons-grade botulin poison. Okay, okay. selling someone a tank or a plane or an RPG, yeah, selling them that, that's just fucked. Okay, I'm sorry Mm. I had to get that out. Mm. Please continue. You know, and then when you invaded Iraq in 2003, you're then like... Then we have to wear the mask. Yeah. Like, he's got... Watch out, he's got fucking poisons. <laughs> How do you know? We sold it to him. We sold it to him. Yeah. There's a coffee mug. It's September 1988. Richard Murphy, the Assistant Secretary of State, said the U.S.-Iraqi relationship is important to our long-term political and economic objectives. Bullshit. Getting back to the... Uh, Previous episodes about trade and foreign markets. It's and right. In this case, obviously, oil. Both Iraqi oil and Iranian oil. Look it up if you don't believe me. And ISIS. C- cutting back to the modern time, where do they get their weapons from? Kmart. <laughs> no. Like a lot of a lot of the weapons that ISIS have are old Soviet weapons left over from the eighties that they but took, they still work they took in Iraq yeah but they also yeah. have a lot of U.S. weapons U.S. sells weapons to Iraq Turkey and Syria which then end up in the hands of ISIS so Damn. look remember guys war is big business and it's easy business as I've said a couple of times it's the easiest and fastest way to transfer huge sums of wealth out of the public coffers into the hands of corporations, out of US coffers and also the coffers of other countries. Australia, Australia is one of the largest customers of the US weapons industry, uh, but also Saudi Arabia, various Middle Eastern countries, etc., uh, etc. Et right. Um, if I could just change one thing you said from war is a big business, it sounds like war is the biggest business. Well, no, I don't think it's the biggest business. There no? are lots of big businesses, man. Um, pharmaceuticals, okay. uh, energy. Ah, there are a lot gotcha. of big businesses, but it is one of the biggest. And and Jeez. again, you, when it's destabilizing. The, the point I want people to really think about is the permanent war economy m- means billions, hundreds of billions a year of easy profits to millions of businesses, large and small, and they know that. So, And they know that if that goes away, if a, if a president came in, if an administration came in and decided to half the uh, oh, Pentagon yeah. budget, which has happened in the past under the Clinton administration, I think they cut it massively um, originally. It ramped back up, but they cut it massively, then it ramped up massively under George W. Bush. But that, that is a massive threat, not just to the Pentagon, 
but to mm-hmm. millions of businesses that profit out of the US being in a state of permanent war. Anyway, just to wrap up, there's another there's another yeah. side of this that I want to focus on. Uh, the US technology industry that uh, has been a boon to the US economy, uh, to the mm-hmm. Clinton administration in particular. Now he you know he sort of rode the sort of the technology right, boom tech bubble in yeah. the nineties, yeah. Uh, and took credit for the, the the U.S. economy when it was really the, the technology technology industries boom that really had very little to do with him, even though Al Gore invented the internet. Um, Yay! <laughs> well, I'll actually talk about that in a sec. So the U.S. technology industry derives a ton of benefits out of war as well. This is another thing you need to really understand. Here's how it works. So the U.S. government uses tax dollars to fund primary R&D, technology R&D, at places like DARPA, the Defense Department's Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is Mm -hmm. where guys like Vince Cerf literally invented the internet in the 70s. Uh, By the way, today is Vince Cerf's 73rd birthday, or the day we're recording this anyway. Happy birthday to Vint um, I had the pleasure of interviewing him on one of my podcasts years ago. He is a lovely, very, very humble man. Uh, if you don't know what he looks like, but you've seen the Matrix movies, the architect of the Matrix right. is Vince right. Cerf. He was, he looks, <laughs> gotcha. well, no, he's played by an actor, but he looks exactly like Vince Cerf and was m- deliberately modeled by the uh, Wachowskis on Vince uh, Cerf as the Matrix man. architect. Uh, lovely man, but he and Bob Kahn in, I think, 1973 or four, sat down in a hotel room with some yellow legal pads and invented TCP IP, which is the backbone of the internet. Today, he uh, works for Google, uh, chief internet evangelist or something like that, I think his <laughs> title is. Right. Lovely, lovely, lovely man. But um, so DARPA, uh, places like that invented a lot of technology and, and then it trickles down into the tech industry uh, and then companies like you know IBM and Apple and Microsoft and Facebook and whatever profit out of these technologies that were funded by the people out of tax dollars in the first place. Places mm-hmm. like MIT were nearly entirely funded by the Pentagon up until, I think, the late 1970s. And a lot of the research that their scientists did was uh, you know, made available to the military, but then a lot of those researchers left and founded technology companies and made a lot of money out of the technologies that they invented or improved upon. Mm. Again, that primary research funded by the people Um, Transistors is a sort of an interesting one. Transistors, which was the cornerstone of the computing industry, developed at Bell Labs, which was part of AT&T, private corporation. But they were a corporation that at the time, of course, had a government-mandated monopoly so they could afford to develop new technology. They could afford to spend money on Uh, Mm R&D. So it's sort of government funding in another sense. They, They were making monopoly prices. Uh, uh, profits on the back of this uh, government mandate. But, you know, a lot of the technology R&D that is funded by the Pentagon is about developing 
new weapons and, and other forms of t- technological uh, advancement that gives them an edge over their competitors. Right. I've seen, I'm sure everyone has seen the terrifying videos of the horse and dog-like robots developed at Boston Dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know those horses, they try and kick over and they won't fall over. Boston right. Dynamics, 100% funded by the Pentagon. Wow. Uh, got picked up by Google and then Google just spat it out again recently. But And who pays for that? The taxpayers. So <clears throat> the taxpayers, again, funding the research that then goes into the uh, – uh, ends up the, the, this research in the hands of American corporations, technology corporations, mm-hmm. who adapt it and then sell it back to the people who funded right. it in the first place. Damn. We get it coming and going. Yeah, exactly. Now, you might think, well, a lot of these corporations and their executives become very wealthy, but they pay it back in taxes on their profits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I mean, we all know how that works now. I mean, on one hand, the executives use tax shelters. They can afford to pay very clever lawyers and accountants to hide their money and get you know disperse it into a range of global tax shelters, Panama, etc. Panama Papers, or yeah, in, sure. even in the US, there's plenty of uh, US Virgin Islands, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also their corporate taxes, they offshore their profits in countries like Ireland, where they pay minimal corporate taxes. I know in right. Australia, you know, when I worked at Microsoft. Microsoft in Australia, uh, when I was there, which is over a decade ago, was making a billion dollars a year in revenues and paying almost nothing in corporate tax because it was actually uh, all of the the billings were going back to Microsoft in Ireland. Uh, Yeah, I listened to an NPR report. They said it's a lovely place to go. And yeah, they just love not paying any taxes and yeah, and they they've been able to make it work with with the locals there, but yeah, just they're making all this money and not paying shit off for taxes and. Well, the the Irish economy was fucked, so they said, you know what, come and you know come and set up your offices yeah. here. We'll pay you. We'll charge you minimum corporate tax. It provides jobs in Ireland, and they get a little bit of revenue out of it. And so, right. yeah, and so uh, it's not just Microsoft. Uh, I know Apple oh, sure. does it in Australia as well. They do it around the world. They they send all of this profit offshore, so it doesn't actually trickle back down to the U.S. economy. That's why this whole Reagan idea of trickle-down economics is bullshit because they are able to use sophisticated loophole mechanisms to exploit loopholes to make sure they pay as little as possible. So to summarize and wrap up our economics series, I want to just – sorry, do you want to say something before I wrap up? Yeah, just that uh, this is the oldest game – I'm getting ready for bed. I'm in my pajamas now. That's why you heard the zipper. But uh, no, just this is the oldest game there is. Your pajamas is, have it, zippers? It's complicated. Is it like, is it a black leather a full body gimp suit that you wear to bed? Yeah. Is this? With, uh-huh. a, with a rabbit ears on the top. It's it's kind of complicated. And an ass flap. That's what I, <laughs> well, yeah, duh. But those are, those are buttons. Anyway, no, j- j- just that... Um, yeah, over these three episodes, I mean, we're not trying to we're not trying to depress anybody. We're just trying to let you know, open your Stop eyes. This is the that. way it is. You said that in the last couple of minutes. We're not trying to depress no, anybody. No, because it is depressing. I I get overwhelmed with how much life is fucked, <laughs> and, and and I've learned one thing: it pays to be rich. 
No, but uh, no, but you, you just, it's easy to get overwhelmed and feel hopeless that nothing will ever change anything. And this is the way it is. And, you know, what kind of future do you have? But it, it's better to know than not to know. And that way you're dealing with reality and not the illusion. And, and if if they can keep all this stuff hush hush where the average American doesn't know fuck all about it, they're doing a pretty good job. And everybody needs to help change that reality and do not despair and, and you know, just 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 be aware of what's going on so you can deal deal with reality. I don't get depressed by it at all. I, I, I'm just fascinated by the mechanics of it and understanding how it works. And, and I have a right. begrudging respect for the people oh, yeah. that have stitched Big this begrudge. all together, man. Like, holy shit, this is clever. It is just... Anyway. So... Let me, let me summarize over the last three episodes some of the ways, this isn't all of the ways, but this is some of the ways that people profit from war. One, by selling weapons both to their own country and to other countries funded by tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Two, by selling other goods required during and after a war, everything from food and clothing and computing equipment to reconstruction efforts, building, infrastructure, electricity, plumbing, etc., all also funded by tax dollars. Three, by gaining access to undeveloped markets with new sources of natural resources and cheap labor. Four, by locking up control of export markets that they can sell their goods and services to. And five, by using war to get technological research done that then makes its way into the hands of corporations and they can turn around and sell it. Right. That's how you do it. That's how you fucking, fucking generational wealth. Yeah. But, their, their kids, kids, kids will never have to work. Between those five... Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars a year, every year, right, are making their way from the hands of well, out of out of the accounts of the public, from mm-hmm. taxes paid for by the people, into the bank accounts of corporations and their senior executives, and they understand that that's how it works. They this is not a secret to the people who are running these corporations. They've been doing right. this for decades and decades and decades. They know how much money this is worth to them, and they're not going to let it go easily. Yeah, and no, their congressmen, fine. their senators, all understand it as well. They're mm-hmm. they're they're on the payroll directly or indirectly. If it's not in the form of campaign finance, it's on the form of, well, when you finally get kicked out of office or you decide to retire, there's a cozy right. seat on the board or like, right. we'll pay you to give Consultant speeches. Yeah. Fucking Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton getting paid millions and millions of dollars a year to give speeches when they're out of office. Uh, right. That they each are charging something like between one hundred and fifty and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a speech for mm. a, for a twenty minute speech and forty minutes of Q and A. I would um, do that. So they're they're on the tit. Politicians are on the tit, either when they're in office <laughs> to keep them in office, or when they're out they're out of office and they get their they get their right their retirement check. Plus, they're on the corporate tit. Now, again, just to conclude, I am not arguing that economics and making money is the only reason we ever go to war. 
As we will see over the course of this series, there are other legitimate reasons, national security being a major one. But I will argue that economics, the transfer of wealth from the people to the corporations and the people who run the corporations, from the general public to the corporations and their senior executives and shareholders, is a major factor for why we find ourselves in a permanent war economy. And it is one that doesn't get talked about nearly enough in general public. I'd like to redo my summation. Well played, 1%. Well played. And uh, next time, that's the end of the economic series. In the next episodes, we're going to start talking about our old mate, Uncle Joe... <laughs> his purges, mm-hmm. a little bit about his agenda, and his pact with Uncle Adolf, <laughs> and the formation of the Grand Alliance. We're going to get into nice. the guys. Yeah, get it going. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Hey, do you have a review to read? No, I don't. Okay. Just because I don't have time. That's all. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. 